everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. Well, welcome everyone. I have my friend and brother in Christ here with me today, Steve Dunn. Steve is a graduate of the Master's Seminary with a Master of Divinity degree. Also, he has two law degrees, a JD and an LLM. He is an Army-trained helicopter pilot and was an Army JAG lawyer. He is the senior chaplain at the Twin Towers Correctional Facility in downtown LA, one of a half a dozen very large jails in the county jail system. We have a fascinating topic always. You know this podcast is all about eschatology and prophecy and Jesus coming back soon. Um, we're going to talk about lawlessness increasing, and I've talked about that before, but it's a topic for the ages. Matthew 24, 12 says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of the many will grow cold and abound meaning to increase and multiply. And then of course, the famous verse, second Timothy three, one through three, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, and the list goes on. So we are going to talk about lawlessness as it relates to demon activity today, but we're going to major in lawlessness kind of as a broad stroke with a minor in the demonic realm. And the reason that I have Steve here with me is that he is seeing some of this stuff up close and personal in the jail system. Well, let's uh, let's talk about your work right now, and I'd love to know what a typical day in the jail ministry is like. What what do you do? How do you minister to these men? What's the outcome? That kind of thing. Okay, it's it's kind of a tough question to answer because I don't know that there's a typical day, uh, <laughs> especially since the virus hit. Right. Since COVID. Okay. Showed up. Um, mm -hmm. It has really dramatically altered our ministry um, capabilities, what we're allowed to do. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it substantially has, uh, the Lord has used COVID to open doors of opportunity for us in ministry at the jails that would not have been there without the virus. So um, so that's a plus. That's a COVID plus, plus. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, here's an example. Um, early on when the virus hit, and the whole world shut down. We were considered by the sheriff to be uh, essential first responders. So he kept the doors open for ministers, chaplains, religious services volunteers of every religion. But interestingly, and this is where I see the Lord's hand, uh, and I'm not the only one, my, the director of the ministry that I'm, I'm answerable to, uh, Only Hope Prison Ministries, dot com or dot org i think either one will get you there um he uh, we're, we're all in concert in this and uh, how, how amazed we are at what we saw happen virtually all of the other religions the representatives from them almost all stopped coming to the jails remarkable and we kept showing up therein lies the split if it's just a religion and you're full of fear you don't show up the Christians, it's not a religion, it's a, it's a relationship with Christ. 
we have our marching orders and we're not fearful of death and we showed up. That is just wonderful and such a testimony to the Christian faith. Well put. I agree completely. When these men are at the at their, they're at the end of the line here in their lives. You know, they've hit a substantial bottom and they know it and they're looking for answers. And I think they can sniff when somebody's really got something valid to give to bring them. When okay, this guy is this guy, they want to know. They're sizing you up. They don't trust you. Mm-hmm. But somewhere deep in their heart of hearts, mm-hmm. they're hoping that mm-hmm. you have some real truth of cosmic significance to bring sure. them. They all think they know Jesus, by the way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But the vast majority of inmates, if you ask them, are you a Christian? They'll say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Really? What does that mean? When did you become a Christian? And then you, you filter Dig a them little out. deeper Dig and deeper you find out. Mm-hmm. That they're mm-hmm. not. They're just not. Yeah. Do you know the difference between a jail and a prison? Prison always seems to be more hardcore. That's in my mind, but I don't know that that's right. For the more aggressive or the worst crimes or the worst offense, you go to prison and you go for the long haul. To me, jail always just seemed like more of a holding tank. Well, that's actually, there's a lot to what you just said. As somebody who came from law, and not from criminal law, but just in general, it's easier for me to think of it in terms of uh, historically, across the country, historically, jails are for temporary detention or for serving out a sentence of less than a year, essentially. That, that's the big pivot point historically in between jails and prisons. If it's a year or more, it's if you can be convicted and, and sentenced to uh, serve a year or more, it's a felony. Okay. In recent history, I believe it was under Governor Brown, in response to uh, prison and jail overcrowding, a California court, I believe it was a California Supreme Court and ultimately the U.S. Supreme Court issued rulings ordering the governor of California to reduce your prison population. You will reduce that population. What he ended up doing, and I don't know exactly how he went about doing this, but the actions he took had the the outcome of dumping a lot of prison inmates, uh, state prison inmates, onto the county jails. Mm -hmm. So we've got a very weird mix, at least in the LA County jail system. That's what I've observed for these years. Um, The the huge spectrum of of mixes of of inmates, they are generally, though, they're they're segregated in terms of the severity of their crimes and the nature of their crimes. But there are a lot of, I've been stunned to encounter a lot of uh, men that I just would have thought didn't belong in this block of prisoners. Mm-hmm. That, but what I found is, I guess I'll just kind of close that little piece up with this, that I'm regularly meeting inmates who are serving out long sentences, uh, felony crimes. They're serving out multiple year sentences in the county jail, which is unheard of historically all over the country it's just not what jails are We're created meant to, for yeah. to do yeah. let's talk about some of the history as it relates to lawlessness because you have some really fascinating points about what's happened in the past 
We don't tend to look at what's unfolding daily as being on a timeline that was set by the Lord. Exactly. And linear, or the history is is linear. And you're right, it has been around because the spirit of Antichrist has been here since John said it in First John 4, 3, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And that is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So the context of that is false teachers, but we see a lot of that today. Uh, and even just from my study notes, the final Antichrist will not be something new, but will be the ultimate embodiment of all the Antichrist spirits that have perverted truth and propagated satanic lies since the beginning. So the point being is the spirit of Antichrist, which I think seems to be on steroids right now, but you know, there's that. So it has been. So backing up, you started with Matthew 24, 12. Um, and I'll just read it again. This is the uh, NAS translation. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Now that's, of course, talking about the end times. This is Christ himself talking about what to look for in the end times. Interestingly, if I remember correctly, the word lawlessness in the King James translation is, is translated as iniquity. Now, a little bit of grammar here, just breaking it down. I won't get too deep into it because... Three semesters of Greek, I will not for a second claim that I in any way mastered Greek. <laughs> so it turns out when it says to make cold the love of many, it's in the future passive indicative form of the verb, which implies, as I understand it, that there will be an increase in lawlessness over time. That's the key to where I was going with that. It's happening. We're seeing it. So now I can dive into a little bit of history. You may recall in one of John MacArthur's sermons in the last year explained how historically the biggest persecutor of Christians has been government entities, government bodies. Mm. Well, when we think about the Reformation, just in terms of history, there were so many amazing Christian leaders that came out of that time, so influential in society and government. We're talking about government. So, and just to be reminded, they there were social issues too. And this is like 1700s, 1800s. Scholarly leaders at Cambridge who inspired missionaries who translated the Bible into all foreign languages and made it accessible. There was a group of wealthy influential men in England, including the chairman of the East India Company, I didn't know this, who established Sierra Leone in 1787 as a private colony for a home for freed slaves and supported it until the government took over and evangelical influence in government was so vast and it really influenced public opinion greatly. And I'm just paralleling the difference between today, like William Wilberforce, who dedicated his life to ending slavery and the British empire without him and his evangelical friends in parliament, it wouldn't have happened. And he wrote the book Practical View, which was a plea to apply biblical principles to politics and reform. And then, this will be interesting for you, there was a man named John Howard, evangelical, who was dedicated to the poor and downtrodden before his death from jail fever, which is essentially typhus. He caught it inspecting a vile prison, and then he traveled 50,000 miles and spent 30,000 pounds of his own money on prison reform. And in today's money, that would be over a million. So these are just a few examples of what believers have done when it comes to influencing society, 
influencing government. And now to think that no government basically wants God involved in what they're doing at all, except the Taliban, you know, <laughs> wants uh, Allah involved. But the government and society doesn't want God in the Supreme Court, doesn't want God in the chambers of Cong Congress. And now to think that a pastor can't preach the word on the streets of London without being arrested mm -hmm. after all of this from the Reformation, that's just over 200 years ago. It's not that long ago that things have flipped so dramatically. I can't help but look at key moments in human history in terms of spiritual warfare. And I'm no historian, but we're looking at the Reformation. Well, I think our enemy came back with a, if that was a, a punch, he came back with a counterpunch in the form of the Enlightenment. And it was in the Enlightenment where men started, scholars started walking away from God's word as primary. And man became the measure of all things. And uh, secular humanism is the, the result today, really. But the Enlightenment, a logical out, outgrowth in terms of lawlessness, if, if, if it's akin to iniquity, then we're talking about God's law. We're talking about sin. We're talking about God's law. Not lawlessness, strictly speaking, as in a society without laws, but a society, I think it might be fair to say, that has rejected God's law. That's right, and is in rebellion against him and his law. Right. Mm -hmm. Totally agreed. You also have some thoughts historically about the American Revolutionary War as opposed to the French Revolution. There's a couple of distinctives that you noticed. Well, it's extraordinary when you look at just simple statistics. I'll get to those. But do you, uh, you recall the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening in America? You've heard about that. You've probably read about it. Happened in, this, I believe, the 1730s and the 1740s. And think about the, our human timeline again. When was America born as a nation? 1776. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. So it's the generation that was raised, the generation produced by the Great Awakening early in the 18th century, they're the men who created those, those God-honoring documents and that, that government that takes man's fallen nature into account that, that we've been reaping the rewards of for more than 200 years now. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. But in terms of statistics, here we go, American Revolution. I read a book years ago that summed up uh, a view, apparently, that was prevalent among uh, many military leaders of the day, British and American, that ultimately, while there were lives lost, there's no doubt about that, ultimately, many of them called it a gentleman's war. Because ultimately, uh, you, you'll see in a minute, with the lack of real bloodshed compared to the French Revolution, this was a substantially uh, awakened people, uh, spiritually, trying to live out spiritual principles in their government, in their, in their daily lives. British soldiers, take a shot at how many died in battle, about 1,200 died of diseases, diseases now, about 18,000. Uh, American soldiers, apparently something in the neighborhood of 25,000 died, but the vast majority of them died from uh, smallpox and, and, a, and a couple of other, or scurry and I think one or two other diseases. So it wasn't, the vast majority of deaths in the American Revolution were not in combat. Contrast that with the French Revolution. Uh, at least 10,000 apparently died in prison 
more than 17,000 were executed during what some people have called the reign of terror in the French Revolution. A total, this blew me away when I saw this, French Revolution, a total of 1.4 million apparently dead in the French Revolution. And of course, the French Revolution was not fruits of a great awakening in Christ. It was fruits of a big, of probably the, the greatest, the grandest socialist experiment up to that time That's in human right. history. Again, mm -hmm. where man is the measure. That's right. Not where God is the measure. So I, I can't help but look at it. Just the numbers alone jump out of me as we're talking uh, lawlessness on a whole new scale compared to the way the American Revolution unfolded. Right, there's a lot of difference there, and that is really fascinating, actually, because the root of it, look what it produced. You know, it, very, very interesting. And this country has been a beacon for the gospel and for Christianity. It's not a Christian nation, quote unquote, we know that, but God has blessed this nation, and it ha we've had more freedom than anyone to be able to spread the gospel. God has given us that. It's winding down and we're being shut down and it's painful to watch, but that's a whole nother subject. Right. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, and to think we've come, we came from that, we were established that way and now to, to see what's happening. But you know, there was, we had a good run. We had a, we had a good run. We truly did. I, <laughs> we really did. It I makes me sad. We, we have been blessed to live in this nation uh, in the most prosperous times of this nation, probably the most prosperous nation in human history. That's correct. To American lawlessness, which is where we are now. Last year, the United States tallied more than 20,000 murders, the highest total since 1995, 4,000 more than in 2019. Preliminary FBI data for 2020 points to a 25% surge in murders, and that is the largest single increase since the agency began publishing uniform data in 1960. And so there is just everywhere you look, there is crime is, of course, on the rise. And I think it's really interesting. I was just talking to my friend the other day who is retired now, but was an English teacher who was speaking to someone who taught history in the same school. This is high school, high school history. And they were having a conversation and, and the teacher, the history teacher said, you know, I was asking my students if our country had a moral obligation if we knew that say genocide was happening somewhere else do we have a moral obligation to step in and remedy that and get involved and do something about it and she said that these are these are good all-american kids with decent values 16 years old and apparently the majority of them said no wow. it's really none of our business Wow. No, it's none of our business. And this history teacher said basically that the hair on the back of her neck stood up because she thought, what is happening to this generation? We are raising a group of no compassion, cold-hearted, not caring, not involved. Human life is totally expendable. Don't care. Don't know. Don't care. And it's just so disheartening, you know, and then we know, of course, the defund the police, all that is happening. That is lawlessness that is against God, because we know the police are there as God's instruments to restrain evil and protect good, like the government is supposed to. But 
there's been, of course, this unrest and then all this hostility and then the demoralization and the defunding of the police. And so now, of course, we're facing these officers who are just retiring and they don't want to be cops anymore, which I totally understand. And then um, data is showing that there's a decline in law enforcement activity from last June 2020 through this February, because, of course, they're they're not they're being told if it's uh, if it's a little this or that don't even bother you know even even here in los angeles if which we're not in los angeles thankfully we're in ventura county but in la they're not doing anything to somebody who's resisting arrest if they run you're not supposed to chase them okay so that's what we're dealing with right and so of course police are saying okay fine you know i'm not going to do this anymore i'm we're not we're not going to be proactive that's not going to happen and that is and this is all from USA Today, which is just your normal liberal magazine or whatever. So of course that's happening. Of course active police policing is going in the dumper. It's not hard to put two and two together. Why would they do that? Why would they bother? So this is what we are seeing today in the United States, which I think we have not seen before. I think on the timeline that we're talking about, this is ramping up to a very high level. I agree completely. So you have some statistics as well, just regarding the jails and some things that are happening within the last 20 years. May of 2011, Supreme Court ordered California to release uh, people from its state prisons because of dangerous overcrowding. And I'm jumping ahead here. Supreme Court concluded that the inadequate medical and mental health care constituted a violation of Eighth Amendment's prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment. So this is 2011. A cruel and unusual punishment. A court body saying the state of California has failed to provide for the medical and mental health needs of criminals. Maybe some of them aren't criminals. They haven't been convicted yet, but they've been arrested for crimes. <laughs> I'm going to share this story. It's kind of disturbing. Have you heard, dear, does the name Catherine Steinle ring a bell? It probably will when I start telling you this story. July 2015, 32-year-old Catherine Steinle shot and killed while walking with her father and a friend in San Francisco. In San Francisco. I know it well. So you know mm -hmm. the story? I yep. bet most of your listeners do. I won't, I won't take the time to review the facts, but this is a man who had been deported five times. Yes. It was not an American citizen. That's right. And because of our lawlessness mm -hmm. as a nation are mm -hmm. because our leaders elected leaders have chosen to ignore the laws that they swore before our lord to uphold mm -hmm. these are mm -hmm. the kind of consequences we're dealing That's with right. it's not the only story out there it's not an isolated story but i come back to that mental health care issue what and i think you'll you'll check in with this right away what historically has been viewed as sin and yes. even demonic activity today is defined as mental, mental health, health disorder mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right so you have a, a, a world of people who are writing the laws now redefining rewriting the laws just like out of uh well let's go to daniel chapter 7 verse 25 daniel has been given a vision and now he's been given an interpretation of the vision which encompasses the Antichrist. So he's describing the Antichrist here. And he says, he, that is the Antichrist, will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Most One, the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. The Antichrist will, his, one of his 
efforts will be to change the laws. And again, I, I come back to my position would be, we're ultimately talking about God's laws. But along the way, of course, we're seeing Antichrist and we're seeing uh, people who are followers of our enemy who are in positions of power changing man's laws as well as the laws of God or trying to change them anyway. So we're going to head toward a little bit of this demonic activity. We do think that it's increasing. I think it's increasing. Why don't you read, we're talking about that happening, uh, back in the, in the New Testament when Christ walked the earth, the demons were very vocal and they made themselves, they couldn't help but make themselves known when Christ was on the scene. Now they don't do that so much, they do it some, but not so much here today. We don't see it the way that he did then and the way that the apostles, etc., did then. But read Mark, is it Mark 1? Mark chapter with, 1. With uh, the, the account of the man who's just in the synagogue. How we find this really interesting. It's just like a church service, for instance. And then this happens. Yeah, I think, and the reason that I highlighted this out of scripture is because I think today most people in the world of the, the uh, demons, they're looking for the Mark chapter 5 version, which I'll get to, the We Are Legion version, the, the man who's possessed by multitudes of, of demons. Right, but this is different. Who can't even be, they can't chain him down. <laughs> yeah. He's totally out of control. Right, right. This is very different, and this is more consistent with what I think is going on today. today. Mm -hmm. So Mark chapter 1 starts with verse 21. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Christ entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man there in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. Now, what I get from that, again, we need to be cautious not to read into scripture something that's not there. But I think it's a fair reading that this guy, Capernaum at that time, I've been there, probably a lot of your yes. listeners have. Mm -hmm. Have you mm -hmm. been there? I've been there. Mm -hmm. So you, you've probably been at that synagogue, and the only remnant left of the synagogue is the floor, which has mm -hmm. some of the mosaic still left mm -hmm. on it. The walls mm -hmm. are gone, the roof is gone. So it wasn't a huge room, this entire synagogue. So we can assume at that point in human history, it was probably a relatively small village. And this man, who turned out to be demon-possessed, was probably another resident of Capernaum who grew, was born and raised there. Yeah, Joe from accounting. Exactly. <laughs> and nobody knew that Joe right. from accounting was actually right. demon-possessed. Right, right, Until the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, shows up and, and the demon-possessed man, well, the demons react, respond out of right. fear. Right. So. And in truth, they want to hide. In truth, they're hidden. But especially, say, in this account, as soon as Christ shows up, they cannot help themselves. They scream in terror because they're wicked and that grips them. The people are amazed and the demons are terrified, right? And they're always around, though. This is the other part that we're talking about, uh, is that the demon man is representative of the demon dread that exists in all demons when confronted by Jesus, let's say. Uh, and they're always, they're always here, they're around. They were around before, 
and they're going to be around until the Lord comes and he does away with them completely. But it's just very fascinating, right? Because Satan is an angel of light and all his ministers are disguised as angels of light and then they hide in religion. So he didn't, that demon did not want to be outed at that synagogue. And just like you said, there's all these people. Hey, Joe from accounting, he wanted to just remain one of the, the good guys that, you know, was just a typical good old citizen at the synagogue. And now he's been exposed. And it's just totally fascinating. You don't know who they are. And they are in the church pews, for instance. But I think that we're going to see, if you ask me, a lot more of that kind of thing happening because I, I think that they're, the demons are restless to coin the, the term. And so I, I think we're in for that. I don't know that they're gonna stand up and scream at church, but I'm not gonna be surprised, Steve. I'm not gonna be surprised if that starts to go down. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, Lynn, and I'll, I'll mention now, a good segue to get back to the jail where I work, the Twin Towers. They call it Twin Towers Correctional Facility because it's actually this giant building made up of two distinct towers uh, full of jail cells, uh, thousands of inmates. In that jail today, they run the gamut. You'll find the Mark Chapter 1, demon-possessed man, and you'll find the Mark Chapter 5, can't hold him down, ultra-violent, insane... Yep. The, the man that, that you need six deputies to the hold him down. superhuman strength that comes from demonic power. Right. That's my right. theory. Right? You, see, you see it all there. You and see. it's not even a theory. Honestly, that's the, that's the demon-possessed man that Jesus has to cast the demons into the pigs. He was a self-mutilator, which, of course, we see that today. But that's, in the, that's called a, psycho, a psychological problem if you cut on yourself. Self-mutilation. No, guys, it's as old as scripture that that's what the man possessed by a demon did is he cut on himself nothing new yeah, right and, and, and he was totally violent totally murderous nobody could restrain him that's demonic activity in that man and so many of the psychological problems quote unquote that we see i say you could line that up with accounts in scripture of demonic activity it's a spiritual issue right and because our jails are identifying it as a mental health issue it's core root the root of the problem is going unaddressed and what's the result out of control problems like we've never seen before in our culture the mark chapter one demon possessed man and it reminds me of something i read in a book in seminary that i found very insightful the author of this particular book essentially says and this is a paraphrase he says the spiritual war is real it originates in the heavenly realm, but it manifests itself in the intellectual realm. In the mind. Looking at the Mark chapter one, demon-possessed man, that suggests to me that this is a man who was accepted in the community. Maybe he was a, a thorn in the side of a lot of local citizens, but this is a man who's demon-possessed and no one knew it. Right. But the demon was working through that man and the he, he, he was probably regularly engaged in a battle of ideas interesting trying to change people's mm -hmm. notions of truth mm -hmm. a battle of ideas of okay you don't really believe that about noah you don't believe that about adam and eve you know you can imagine they weekly gathered in that synagogue where this this guy was flushed out by mm -hmm. christ mm -hmm. this demon possessed man to study god's word up mm -hmm. to that point in time what for us is the old testament 
and I think it's a it's a fair it's a fair uh, um, conclusion that this guy was engaged regularly in battles of the intellect, interesting in, uh, battles of ideas. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. whereas of course the more extreme one, Mark chapter five, that. Right, that was violent, that was physical. Violent, so mm -hmm. I come, I, that kind of helps me get back to the jail itself, what, what I'm dealing with on a, on a daily basis. Yes, now, please. So the Twin Towers, uh, some year, in recent history, very recent, uh, recent history, one of the two towers has been exclusively set aside, essentially exclusively, I'm sure there are some exceptions, to uh, house inmates who've been diagnosed with mental health disorders and who are on psychotropic meds tell us about the drug gateway we would say okay well as it relates to these men and these men in prison it's a really interesting thing you said the vast the vast majority of inmates in the jail system and the prison system have had drug problems serious drug problems i think you said it was fair to say even that almost every one of them if not every one of them that you have talked to has admitted to using drugs, is this right? Yeah, I admitted to using, mm -hmm. but to the point that it became a problem. problem. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say every one of them, uh, but look, they ended up in jail one way or another. We can make fair assumptions right. here. But for the ones that I interact with one-on-one -on -one for a few years now, I've, I've gotten a lot of mileage it, uh, in terms of witnessing for Christ and trying to get the gospel message into their heads. Uh, when they get gut level honest with me and tell me, yeah, Steve, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how I ended up here again. I, I, I do good in here, and then they cut me loose, and I pick up again, and I use, and I'm, I'm a meth addict, or I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to this or that, and then I'm back here again because I, you know, I break the laws when I'm on that stuff. And I, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, it's one of, of a few places where Paul gives us what is essentially a laundry list of sinful activities uh, where he ultimately concludes if you're engaged in these things you will never see the kingdom of heaven so in this laundry list here you'll pardon the term uh, it, he says uh, uh, verse 19 now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmities strife jealousy outbursts of anger and it goes on uh, it includes drunkenness, carousing, things like these, of which I warned, I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the word sorcery, it's translated here into the English. In the original Koine Greek that Paul wrote this in, this letter to the church, the church in Galatia, the word sorcery originally in the Greek is pharmakia. Mm. Now, I wrote that, that word down several years ago on, a, on what amounts to an index card in big letters with a magic marker. And when I get to this point in a conversation with a man, I'm trying to wake him up to what he's really doing when he picks up. He just, most men really don't have a, a grasp of the true spiritual significance of what they're engaging in there. I'm trying to wake them up. And I hold up that index card, and it says pharmakia. And I go, does this word look familiar at all? And, they, and I say, go ahead and say it out loud. And usually they can read. Most, most of the inmates can read. And they'll, they'll, they'll pronounce it out, pharmakia. And they all get it, Lynn. Mm -hmm. Every one of them. Mm -hmm. 
pharmacia, pharmacy, right? Mm-hmm. You got it. Drugs. Drugs. Sorcery. Sorcery. That's a, the connection is inescapable in God's work. So, it's what, truly what is? Mm-hmm. Isn't it stunning? Mm-hmm. And what is sorcery? Sorcery is a man or woman's. This is my my kind of a, from the hip definition. A man or woman's deliberate effort to tap into that heavenly realm, the world of the of the de, of demons. That's right, supernatural. The mm-hmm. supernatural, although mm-hmm. they don't realize, most of them don't realize that's what they're doing, but they're opening their souls up. That's right. And I and when I talk with them enough, I can pull enough story out of them that they get to the point where they acknowledge, yeah, when I'm using drugs, I'm doing it in a way that I am. I'm, I can acknowledge I am giving my free will over to whatever power comes along. And then when I show them the connection scripturally, well, that power is demonic. There's, there's no way around it. You are opening your soul up to the world of the demonic. And that ought to scare you. <laughs> that ought to terrify you. Well, in talking about pharmacia and sorcery and these men just not understanding men and women I mean, we're talking about men in the jails but not understanding what they are doing is a gateway into the supernatural and the spiritual realm and the demonic realm and this just happened so it's fresh on my mind but a couple weeks ago a man named brian riley an ex-marine basically confessed to randomly killing a family i don't know if you heard about this but because god told him to save a girl because the family was selling her into sex trafficking. Very, very bizarre story. He goes to this home and he's there, he's outside. They ask him what he wants. Never seen this man before. They're trying to tell him they don't know who he is. Goes away, they had called the police. Later that night, he comes back. He kills the grandmother who's in the back house. A man, the man in the house, his 32 year old live-in girlfriend, the family dog, their three-month-old baby boy, kills all of them in front of the 11-year-old daughter. So the 11-year-old daughter sees this whole thing happen, and it's her dad, baby brother, step-mom, and grandmother. Then he takes her into the living room, trying to get her to tell him where this girl is that he's trying to save, again, that God told him to do it. And the girl kept saying, I don't know what you're talking about. He shoots her at least five times. And the sheriff, this Polk County Sheriff, I've heard him before, Sheriff Grady. I love this guy. I think he's a believer. And he talked about the evil that this this man had done. But this little girl told him later that she played dead and she prayed. This 11-year-old girl. So just a harrowing, horrible, horrible story. I mean, you shoot everybody, including the family dog. What possesses you? Well, it's just interesting because we were talking about this. So I listened to the press conference and the sheriff Grady says that he's talking about the evil of this guy. And in one of the ramblings in the back seat of the police car, this man admitted to using meth. And I thought, how interesting that we had just had this conversation and he admitted to using meth meth there you go drug sorcery pharmacia now not everybody that uses it goes to that length but the whole point is that's what they're messing with and this is a big end result of that but you know your own sin of course is birthed in the heart 
but this is a vehicle for demonic activity because you have no other explanation of somebody who would do that than being demon possessed, right? I mean, right. it's just evil on a whole nother level. Completely agree. Yeah, I'd, I'll save you the, the word study, uh, except that I can sum up on that world of things with, I, I did a, a, a word study into the three words, pharmakia, pharmakon, pharmakos, and they all have the same Greek uh, root word, which, so the, the connection between a sorcerer and sorcery and drug use is inescapable. It's in God's word. Uh, but we're talking about, you and I were talking earlier about the epidemic of the, the horrific level of drug use like we've never known in our lifetimes. Well, I, let me suggest to you that it's probably not known in human history at the scale it's reached now. And I think that's substantially because, as I was saying earlier, Today, we have technologies to synthesize these, these high-level drugs that we, didn't, we simply never had that technology before in human history to cheaply synthesize these drugs. And part of one of the drugs we, we deal with regularly, I don't deal with them, but th that's, that are dealt with regularly in the jails is uh, fentanyl. And apparently this stuff is dirt cheap to produce and in China it's being produced by and shipped over here by the boatload and it's a plague on our nation and it, it's it's all part of that increasing lawlessness that people people I'm stunned when they continue to say if I engage someone in a conversation about these things I they, they'll say well you know things are really no different than they were when I was a kid I know things are much worse you're, you've got your head in the sand if you if you can't see that. The increasing lawlessness, and I come back to that as a kind of thematic of where we're going with all this. Uh, I appreciate that we, did, we went through those little pieces of history. Ultimately, though, uh, and I do need to say this, I, I, I feel like I owe it to the amazing deputies and officers that I continue to see interact with these inmates uh, against stunning, um, stunning problems that these inmates are 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 causing, creating. These are the most professional, uh, in the face of such adversity, these deputies and officers just stand their ground with great professionalism and actually with a great sensitivity, all things considered. When I, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was called to an extrication. That's when the deputies need to remove a man from his cell to take him someplace, wherever that is. It becomes clear that this man is gonna resist. So they, they have a protocol in place. So part of the protocol is if there's a chaplain available, they'll ask the chaplain to come in and talk to the inmate. I never had to talk to the inmate. I think I counted seven deputies. These are strong men and women in great shape and they, they darn some protective gear and they approach the inmate in his cell. The thing could have gone a hundred different ways. But they were, they were uh, all things considered, as, as considerate and as respectful as they could be toward this, this man who was diagnosed with mental health disorders and who I believe was on psychotropic meds. The man agreed to come out of the cell. That's not the norm when I get called to these things. The norm, I'm sorry, for me it's demonic what, what I see. Uh, I see men who don't have any rational... Uh, sense of who they are, or where they are, 
they're out of control. They're flinging, they're, they're naked. They're flinging their fecal matter all over the inside of their cell. Sounds and, like our friend in uh, the caves that Jesus sent all of the demons out into the pigs. Mark doing the five. same thing. Sure. And there's a lot, there's a lot of that. And, and we make, who do we make the bad guys? The officers and deputies? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really, who are just, I am so grateful that they are standing between me and Amen. people like that. Amen. And people are going to find out pretty quickly how valuable they are when they're not there. Absolutely. Now, I have to come back to, I, 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 I do occasionally minister to the deputies and officers when, when they're open to that. But I am there primarily for that mm -hmm. that population of inmates, mm -hmm. even the, the worst of them, because I know the Lord can and does reach men and women in such dire straits with the gospel. Amen. And they're just sinners like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're sinners. And God already chose some of them to be redeemed. It's mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. they need to hear the gospel and we need to push through our fear and, and get the gospel into their heads. I love it. God uses me and uses a, a lot of much better men than me in the in the jail system. I am blessed to uh, work with some highly professional uh, other chaplains, senior chaplains of other jails. Um, and, and the biggest blessing of all is when we're able to just show up and just push forward and bring the gospel and then you see it. You see it in a man's eyes. He hears the truth and he responds. That is, and I go home and I can have a lousy week. And when I have that moment, I can go home refreshed and encouraged and, and joyful that I, I know the Lord used me that day. That's what makes it worthwhile. And it wasn't, it wasn't Steve. It was the Holy Spirit using this broken vessel, this broken sinner to get the truth to that man. What, a, what, a, what an incomparable privilege that is. And what an encouragement. You know, anybody that's listening, just what an encouragement that the gospel does change hearts and God does save lives. And he reaches down into the prisons to the destitute and to the needy and to people who you wouldn't normally think, you know, you kind of might have that attitude. Well, they're past uh, redemption. We should never think that. But I mean, there's just kind of a stigma, if you will. But to know to hear you and to know that, no, the Lord is at work in those prison walls and he is at work mightily in those prison walls. And to see them change and to see them weep over their sin, like you were talking about to me earlier, and just to see them reaching out for the lifeline and for hope. And that, so even within the demonic activity, even within the lawlessness and even within what we're facing, God is on the move and radical things are happening for the kingdom. And that is a blessing and such a wonderful truth. Amen. I agree. Mm -hmm.